Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome to Screen Talk, IndieWire's <laughs> weekly podcast. This is a very special edition, divorced from the news cycle, as it were, because we recorded it in advance of our vacation. So we're coming to you from the past, and we don't know if something crazy happened in the future. So we apologize that we can't talk about those things. But it tends to be a slower time of the year. So knock on what everything we're discussing today is relevant. We came up with a list of 10 stories that we feel really defined this year in film. And Anne, I have to give you credit, really, you came up with this list and I'm kind of okay with it. But there are some that I think are more relevant to me than to you and vice versa. So I figured that out. I said, Eric can talk about this. And we'll start with number 10. Number 10 is Eric's. Go for it. So, so, so let, let's kick things off with the, the subject matter that I think has been most relevant to our conversations throughout the year because it keeps changing, and that's film festivals. Right when South by Southwest was canceled back in March, we knew things were going to be different this year. And uh, when film festivals were canceled and pushed, it would, there was this constant sense that uh, everything was going to be upended. And when Cannes Film Festival kept trying to go further and further and further and finally realized they couldn't happen, you knew that there were some severe platforms for cinema all around the world that just wouldn't be able to do their job in the usual way this year. And what we've learned is that virtual film festivals can happen in a way that is impactful. I thought that both Toronto and New York especially showed that. And we'll see what happens with Sundance. And the good news is and that- And Venice whatever, was very much a hybrid. It was Venice was too. Venice actually had a showed window. that you could, you could have a physical festival. That, that, that is not a dead thing. So I think what we're looking at in the future is that some aspect of what a virtual film festival is going to be, whether platforms like Shift 72 continue to have a role in that, I don't know, but some aspect of the virtual film festival is gonna to continue to be a part of the physical festival because it allows them to bring in more audiences. What we don't know is when that shift is gonna start happening. We have to look at that vaccine rollout and how events start coming back. Right now, it looks like both Sundance, South by Southwest, that whole f- first quarter of sorts is not going to be able to fully take advantage of what a hybrid approach might look like. But maybe in the summer, which Tribeca is looking at for its proceedings, we'll start to inch back toward then. Hopefully by the fall season, it'll feel a bit more like uh, normalcy again. Absolutely. And I do think that uh, Tom Powers also at Doc NYC has shown, especially, um, and I think New York too, uh, and Toronto, they, they all created these platforms that made it possible for people all over the country to participate and see different kinds of uh, panels and all sorts of, uh, I think these innovations will continue, is my point, that we will see more of this even after the pandemic is over. Um, theaters were under assault this year. Um, it's really painful 
to watch. Uh, something that was already happening. There were uh, there was a lot of pressure on theaters from the studios to uh, reduce their windows. There were there were opportunities for deals uh, that didn't take place. And eventually, Universal and AMC came to terms at the time, it seemed like Universal was the bad guy and the theaters were angry with them. Uh, but, uh, you know, they were going to go to PVOD and all this. Um, but, but what really uh, ended up happening is, is that, is that uh, everybody with a streaming option because of COVID, because of the ongoing problems with cinema, because Tenet didn't do well, um, you know, uh, in theaters, even though Chris Nolan was pushing for it and everybody thought it could be the savior. Uh, in the end, um, it's had a terrible impact on, on the theaters and they're struggling. The Luckily, the bailout, the most recent bailout, is going to help independent theaters, uh, any, any of the smaller theaters under a certain threshold. I don't know what's going to happen at this writing, at this moment, at this tape. Uh, uh, to the big theater chains. That's a big question mark. Um, but there is, well, we there know, is money coming. We know that this will be a big question mark for some time, irrespective of, of, of how much money they get. Also because audiences aren't all ready to go back to the theaters and when they Especially are. New York and LA, which remain shut down. They never right. and, when they, and, and when they go back, what are they going to go see? I mean, it's it, it's going to be an interesting open question throughout the year. So this is not the last you'll hear about this, nor is it the last you'll hear about our eighth item on this list, the rise of virtual cinemas and, and drive-ins, because the virtual cinema concept has been a, sort of an ongoing experiment for distributors. Kino Marquis, I think, was sort of a pioneer in this in terms of what it did with this this approach of being able to rent a movie on the website of a theater and splitting the revenue so it actually creates some revenue for the theater. At the end of the day, this is not enough to keep an art house's doors open, but it is it is an important gesture in the sense that these are really hard hit independent institutions that need whatever money they can get. And right. again, it's creating a different model for getting movies out using the kind of the, the word of mouth, the communities that these theaters provide. So I think there is value in that. The, the rise of drive-ins has been amusing in a sense, you know, like, like radio, it ends up being this incredibly resilient format, even though it seems kind of dated. I assume that when we get back to some sense of normalcy, it's not like everybody's going to have this new hunger for drive-ins all across the country, but it, but it has been valuable to see that that apparatus exists and has a certain role to play in our movie going culture. So I'm glad that people went to drive-ins this year and I'm glad they were there to, to help film festivals like New York Film Festival Especially. have some, yeah, have some kind of event. It was good to and, see and Nomadland on a big screen, exactly. even if it there was, was at a drive-in. Yeah. Yeah. Or, or dance in my car to American Utopia. <laughs> it happens. Uh, you got to do that in New York. All right. So then, um, as I mentioned, PVOD uh, obviously has become a huge deal and uh, Universal especially. Uh, but over, uh, you know, even when Disney took Mulan uh, to the streaming site, they were charging a certain premium for it. And uh, and there's there's a whole, you know, uh, model that has developed where movie 
movie plays uh, in theaters and either goes day and date and goes straight to PVOD or it, it or it goes and there are, there's just a huge price range. And Tom Brueggemann on our site has been following this and, and documenting it and showing how the di- they're all experimenting. How do the different price points work at different points in time? They're all learning things that they could have learned a long time ago. Again, if that relationship between the studios and the theaters hadn't been so fractured, what will it be after COVID when we go back to normal, whatever that is? We don't know. It's a, it's yeah. a, this is a PVOD is very much of a COVID uh, situation. Well, the one thing about PVOD that I, I think is, I, I keep hearing from people is that the price tag does still scare people off at first. Yes. You know, why would I pay $20 to watch Freaky or whatever? Just wait a little bit. It's, it's sort of an involved version of why would I pay $20 to go see it in theaters? I'll just wait until it comes out on, on VOD. People have learned that it's, you know, you can wait a little bit longer and that price drops. And I'm not sure unless it's a tenant type of movie that the argument is just sort of baked into its availability. It, family so. films are the ones that seem to provide some value. If you've got a group of people who are going to watch it over and over again and, and kids are involved. Go ahead, Eric, with number so, six. The, so the number six on our countdown is the COVID impact on indies, which I've been looking at from so many different angles, from the level of insurance challenges it creates to safety measures on set. Obviously, that outburst from Tom Cruise was on a big budget Hollywood movie, but I do think it epitomizes the fragility of working on sets. There was this sort of apocalyptic moment where everything shut down and then a gradual sort of crawling back with new kinds of safety metrics in place. Netflix has been doing, I think, really fascinating industry leading work in terms of crunching the numbers to figure out different sizes of bubbles. If you're a really scrappy Indian, you don't have that luxury. You have to sort of reinvent your approach in a way to be loose and and, and nimble. And, and people have, and I have to tell you, a lot of folks were asking me when this first started happening, like, are we just not going to have film and TV shows for a bit? Like, is there going to be some drop off? There won't be. People have gotten stuff made. As soon as they finished Jurassic World, you could tell there would be this kind of. No, they figured out. I mean, it's interesting to be where we are now and look back. I mean, there was a time when it looked impossible. It just looked like too daunting and too. But Steven Soderbergh and the DGA and the PGA and all the different groups, they really did get together and come up with protocols that they could follow. And the economic incentive was so great. Unfortunately, right now, there's a problem uh, with the surge. And so there's more and more cases being reported. I hope they all stop over the holidays and just give it a bit of a, of a breath because uh, it's, it feels more dangerous now than it has been. Well, I think the end of the day, what we learned is that people thrive on the work and they're willing to figure out the best way to get it done as long as it seems like it's not too reckless. Because, you know, some of this stuff is risky anyway. I mean, especially for the actors. Yeah, yeah, for the actors. I mean, from an economic standpoint, these things are risky. There's all there's a lot of different reasons to not make movies anyway. So this was one more <laughs> hurdle that people had to figure out and they did. So yeah, they did. Great. And, and, but, but the other hurdle is that Indies still have issues with getting insurance. And so yes. until after that, that is the but there will be a big, there will be a big, um, sort of, uh, you know, bulging snake um, of product going through the pipeline that it's going to, some of it is going to go, all right, this is part of what we're talking about. So the studios 
have um, been responding uh, rather dramatically. Again, we're talking about a long period of time. We're talking about almost 10 months here that, that, that these changes have occurred. And, and it's been really rapid to see uh, each of the studios one by one overhauling, uh, laying off people, which is tragic, uh, reorganizing, and in each case, Universal, Warner Brothers, Disney, especially the ones that have streamers, making the um, shift to putting streaming at the forefront of their business model. That was not true before. And uh, what think about Warner Brothers, you know, the mighty studio, the the Terry Semmel, Bob Daly era, you know, Stanley Kubrick, uh, Clint Eastwood, all the movies that they would churn out and, you know, 30 movies a year. And it, it was they were the dominant uh, move. The movie studio was dominant. It was there was TV and movies. Now movies are way down the food chain. And it's about product that's going to the streamer. And I, obviously, Warner Brothers at the end made this very dramatic shift with Jason Kalar in charge of Warner Media, uh, perhaps too um, um, violently uh, and suddenly, uh, and not taking care of all the creatives on the on the team. Uh, Seventeen movies going through HBO Max in twenty twenty one, starting with. Uh, this uh, Christmas with Wonder Woman 1984 going simultaneously to theaters and HBO Max. Call it what it is. It's a, the most shift. the most derided decision in Hollywood this year. No, he could lose one. his job. <laughs> it was. It was. I mean, the press was uniformly negative. The response, the fact that you have these, you know, major directors like like Denis Villeneuve and obviously Christopher Nolan publicly lambasting them for that. I mean, that yeah. that is just not what you want in terms of, and, and I think the challenge is that they they knew that the pushback was gonna be so extreme that they had to, they had to just go for it before it broke in the press earlier they than they wanted They had reasons to. for doing what they did, but the, and Stanky had to have signed off on it, the head of AT&T, John Stanky, but they handled it so badly. Uh, and the repercussions have been so dire. I mean, to have CAA and all the agencies and all the guilds and everybody on your back like this. Lots of lawsuits. And lawsuits, exactly. So Disney followed with a much milder version of, of this, a much more sensitive version of this. Um, and they, they, they're, they're clearly heading toward uh, a version of the same thing at the moment, but they have a theatrical, Quietly. they have, yeah. exactly, they have a theatrical component with Marvel and Pixar and everything else that will not go away. And, and neither will, by the way, I still maintain that at the end of the year, next year, they shouldn't have done the whole year. That was dumb. But at the end of the year, when they, you know, they're going to have to recalibrate and decide what their theatrical business we'll have is, to keep coming back be. to this thing each time another one of these movies comes along we'll have to take another because there are different scales different kinds of audiences and so forth so it's not a one-size-fits-all thing and that's part of the problem is making the announcement about all of them like that well it another big impact but another big impact was on the talent itself and that's the next item on our countdown which is a COVID impact on talent which i think is has been fascinating to see because Nobody had to, you know, do those grueling long hours at hotel junkets this year. You know, the the promotional machine has been a completely different beast because we're all in little boxes, right? And uh, I certainly enjoyed doing all these Instagram live conversations. I found that talent needed to be visible, however possible, and it forced them to sort of adapt a kind of DIY ethos. 
I've enjoyed talking, as you know, about this this breakout performance from Maria Bakalova. But one of the things that's interesting about that story was that that's like the ultimate kind of overnight star, right? Nobody knew who this Bulgarian actress was until Borat came along. But then usually what you would have is red carpets and parties and stuff. And you, you'd have rubbing shoulders with all this talent. You, you'd sort of get born into the Hollywood scene through that overnight stardom. But right now, you can't do that. So the, the whole concept of the breakout has, been, has changed this year. You have to be visible online. On a negative side, especially watching young emerging filmmakers, it's harder for them. Yes. You, know? you can't work the Everything room. we've talked about, the festivals, the, all of the usual apparatus for, for building a star is not, it's but, not there. But Bacalova but the is doing okay. She's doing okay, but the studios, I think will probably want to keep the virtual junkets because it's so much easier and cheaper than flying people out to do all these crazy things if you can actually, in an effective kind of way, frame them be, on Zoom. I think there'll be some of one thing and some of another. I'm curious to see how that develops. But as stars have learned, they have learned that they can stay in their living room and they don't have to go and they don't have to travel and they don't have to fly. And people who were always being separated from their families, I think across the industry, have learned that they can be home and they can be with their families and work at the same time. And I think that could be a positive over time. Well, I feel like I, I kind of encroached on your territory because the next item on our list is, is yours and that's the rise of Zoom. I think but we just more. covered it. <laughs> there's more in there. I do think it's it's interesting. You know, I taught a class on Zoom. I, my class in the spring went virtual in the middle of the semester. My class in the fall was entirely virtual. And uh, people don't realize how effective this platform is. I mean, we're lucky that it existed. There are others that people use, Google Hangs or whatever, but it's really hard to just create a platform where you send somebody a link and they don't have to log in as soon as they're on there. That's why it has security issues, obviously, but it's a very effective platform in that respect. And uh, they seem to have, have risen to their moment in that, in that sense. And we've and, all gotten uh, used to yeah, it, you know, it's just, it. it's just, I've had, you know, my book group and meetings and, and uh, you know, my parties, happy class. hours. Yeah, we had our holiday all, party all the, on yeah, one. Absolutely. That was strange. So, very strange, but fun. We had a good time. We had a good time. It's doable. That's the point. Until people listen to me and buy those VR headset so we can all actually hang out in a virtual world. It's a it's a half step in that direction. So, but people should get those headsets. Now, on a more meaningful note, uh, the second item on our countdown is the impact of the election on Hollywood. A lot of us, I think, started to realize that Hollywood was not going to be our answer to the election after coming out of the the, the PTSD of, of 2016 and, and our liberal bubbles and, and how much we sort of, you know, you, you start to assume that because you're seeing your view confirmed certain places, it must be the view that is, is going to determine the, the outcome of, of something like an election. So we look at our storytellers and we say, yeah, stick it to the you know, close-minded GOP people and assume that's what's going to happen. And then it doesn't because America is a big and complicated place and getting out the vote requires a lot of efforts on all sides. But from the efforts that Spike Lee and David Byrne made with American Utopia, all the way to uh, what Borat did 
telling people to get out the vote and punking Giuliani. It did feel like there was this mobilization effort that was based around voting that did something very smart, which was not to say we we're not just going to like go do events for Joe Biden. We're going to engage people in the actual physical process of voting because that's what makes a difference, not just thinking about stuff. And I think they they did um, rise to the occasion. I think Hollywood really did participate big time in across the board. And gave money. I was money, very aware obviously. of it on Twitter. I was very aware of, you know, just little things like... Um, like um, Mandy Patinkin and his wife, you know, filling out their postcards and just modeling. Yeah. You were, you we were all, very good. We all did it. I we modeled all did the you, postcards. you know. Um, and let but, me let me say one thing on this, which is very important, I think, because no matter what happens in the news cycle by the time uh, people hear this, there is still a runoff election happening in Georgia on January 5th that will determine control of the Senate. And that's so important. It is an extension of the value of the presidential election. I don't think the world will end if we don't get both of those seats on, on the Democratic side. Gotta but get it will one, be easy. At least. It will be easy. And you look at who they're running against, somebody oh, like that Raphael awful Warnock. Woman that's, uh, that's is, running. Ugh. It's so much more powerful, Warnock, than, 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 than Kelly Loeffler, or, or even David Perdue, who's a crook, and John Ossoff, who's a young, retired documentary filmmaker who has decided that <laughs> it's probably better for his career to be in politics. So I'm, I'm supportive of both of them and I'm I writing postcards money. to them, I sent money. sending I did. them money. It really still matters. This, and, and that's not going to go away. My hope is that what Hollywood and everybody else gets out of this is that elections come up a lot. And this isn't just a one-time deal because we had the worst president in the history of this country. It's something that we'll always have to be cognizant of. Finally, the Democrats and uh, everyone um, roused uh, themselves to recognize the threat that was finally uh, so apparent. And thank God they did. And thank God sanity is about to return. Um, I mean, other movies, by the way, that, that participated in that effort included The Trial of the Chicago 7, which Aaron Sorkin definitely wanted to have out in time. And uh, the great Stacey Abrams doc, which I think really did oh, have I an impact. Yeah, that actually was the reason why I started picking up the phone and calling voters. Yeah, and, uh, I think that, that had a big the impact. Most it scared people to death. <laughs> yeah, well, it was a well-made movie. I mean, it, it was, was. Uh, it was a, it Liz Garbus. Yeah, And Liz Garbus and Lisa Cortez made a movie that is talking heads in a way that actually has substance to it. It, it, it explains voter suppression in a way that we really needed to hear at that moment, and we're going to continue to need to hear because, again. It's a Stacey Abrams movie, and uh, the Georgia runoff is coming up. So yep. bring us All home. Right. So but, needless to say, the story of the year, um, which um, it, it couldn't be more dramatic, is the rise of the streamers. Um, you know, at the same time that um, <laughs> government entities are trying to curb what's going on on Facebook and Google and all that, Amazon, Apple, Disney+, Plus, HBO Max, um, and Peacock over at, at Universal. These are all Quibi. Growing Don't virgin. forget about Quibi. And Quibi died a dismal death. Thank you very much. So um, Netflix, still steady as they go, still ahead of everybody else, still smarter than everybody else, still gets it, still has this extraordinary relationship with the consumer. But um, the others are catching up and they're not stupid. I want to, even if Stanky and Kalar uh, could be described as stupid, uh, there's, there are, <laughs> Opinions vary. <laughs> there are, uh, there are a lot of smart people trying to make these things work. Roku finally came on board with, uh, with HBO Max, which is a big deal. I didn't realize that Roku was like 40% of that market. 
that it was so dominant. Um, That's because that you're not a, a user. Company. They're, but remember, they're, a, there's... they're the bridge. They're the, yeah. the you, you can't you can't get on all these systems without them. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Unless you're doing Apple Plus, but I, it, Apple Plus is less, and uh, you know Apple TV. Uh, plus is a is another factor. So they're all coming along, and uh, obviously Disney Plus is the most successful uh, challenger to the Netflix throne. And I do but I also feel like they're weirdly complementary at this point in the market. If you look at them, I mean, I, I get whiplash being like watching the the Disney investors thing and being like, oh wow, they have so much going on. That's a real threat to Netflix. And then I go on Netflix and I'm like wow, Netflix has market penetration all over the world. There's no way Disney can compete with that. And then I look back at Disney, I'm like, well, maybe they're going to compute. I mean, it's just a constant back that's and forth. That's what's going on. And it's, it's De- great. Netflix I think is that's ahead. positive. But, ne- but remember, I mean, the, the unfortunate thing is that Amazon is so wealthy, right? Bezos is the most wealthy person who ever lived in, uh, beyond anything. He's not even a billionaire. He's a trillionaire. You <laughs> Thankfully, know? he and, seems like he has, he has some morality has, in check. He has some. Bit. He has some, and the Washington Post is part of it. But you know, yes. he also has this extraordinary, you know, set of Empire. mansions and everything else. He's, he's going to go to space too. I mean, he's all over the place. <laughs> the space race: Tom Cruise versus uh, <laughs> the the That's billionaires. That's true. He's in Elon Musk camp. Right. Yeah, exactly. Perfect. Anyway, so but, so you uh, have yeah. you do have a, a, a certain kind of um, wealth that's attached to, and even Disney, even if it's beleaguered right now, will recover. Uh, and 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 it, you know, wealth disparity too. You know, with Disney paying its executives full full freight and then laying off its employees who can't make their rent, but. That's another story. Anyway, the, the streamers are here to stay, and it will be fascinating to see how Hollywood morphs uh, into the future. Irrespective of all of that, and I'm really looking forward to seeing you in person and watching movies what on a big day. screen, going to film festivals, hanging out at parties, and talking about the streaming wars. It's this weird thing that's happening in tandem with our need to be places in, in person. So fingers crossed for 2021 and happy new year to you. I'll see you. Um, well, we'll be rushing right you into and January. We'll be rushing around our virtual <laughs> version of Sundance. Exactly. Soon. I'll see you in the virtual snow. Happy new okay. year. Bye bye. Love right. you, Eric. With the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.